Well, welcome once again to A Voice in the Distance Ministries, and today we're going to be starting a new book as we're going to be in the book of Exodus. And again, I'm always excited to start a new book and a new chapter, and this is definitely going to be a new chapter. Uh, we did a Genesis a while back. And so uh, we ventured over to the uh, Gospel of Luke, and now we're going to be jumping back to the Old Testament in Exodus. And it's amazing, because when we look at the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis means the origin. It was the origin of life. It was the origin of mankind. It was the origin of, of the earth and all things in the beginning. And, and about 2,500 years worth of, of history throughout the book of Genesis was recorded. And so it ended with... A man by the name of Joseph, who was the second youngest of Israel, who become, becomes one of the twelve tribes of Israel. And Joseph ended up becoming the second in charge to Pharaoh in Egypt, because his brothers had actually uh, sold him off. They wanted to, they wanted to rid of, his, uh, of Joseph because his brothers were jealous. And so they threw him in a pit, and they took his coat, and they dipped it in some goat's blood, and, and told their father that he had been killed. And for years, when he was sold off to slavery, for years his father had thought he had died, and his brothers had no clue what had happened to him. So years later, about 20 years later, they end up in Egypt uh, in, in search of food. And it just so happens, here is Joseph in charge. But they didn't recognize him because Joseph was only 17 years old when they rid of him. And about 20 years had gone by. So now everything had changed. His looks had changed. His appearance had changed from being a, a young Hebrew man to now a, a, an Egyptian ruler. And we look at this now as years go by everything's going to change once again. We're going to be looking at the beginnings of in Egypt and with the actual Jewish people. There's a new origin that's starting that we're going to be looking at, an origin of, uh, of something else within our faith. We're going to be looking here at the birth of Moses, you know, who, uh, uh, a born leader here, okay, chosen by God. And what an amazing story Exodus has been. I mean, we're going to cover so much. And it's going to be, again, it's going to be a nice long uh, trip together here. <laughs> and, and I love doing that because, again, I, it don't matter what size of the book of the Bible. It's all exciting. And, and it's all wondrous because it's the Word of God. It's the hand of God, the mind of God, the works of God, the likes and dislikes of God. It's all, everything in here is in regards to Him and what He did and what He allowed and where His hand was. And it's amazing. You know, that chapter 1 is not a very large chapter, but again, it, it just spoke so much that, that we're going to be seeing so many things that, that God has done. We're going to see the origin of, of, of things on how, you know, again, how the, how the Jewish faith came about, you know, and, and how even how we look at things today. Because God created him, uh, these commandments we're going to see in some time here in the later chapters, you know, of the things that we, we look at today and we try to follow. It all started right here during the time of Exodus, you know, because God revealed himself. We revealed himself even more so to, to Moses later on, who is the author of both, well, Genesis and Exodus. He's the author of the whole, what we call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And again, excitement here. To be starting something new, and, and, and each chapter is going to be something different, you know, and it's, it's got so much, um, so much involvement of God's doing. 
It's got so much involvement of man's ridiculous doings and God's ability to clean up things, you know. And I got to say, again, just reading it, it really shows us who we are and who he is. So let's take a look here again. As we're going to venture now into the book of Exodus in chapter 1. And about 400 years had gone by since the time when Joseph had died. There was a new pharaoh, probably quite a few new pharaohs. The um, the Hebrew people had grown in the kingdom of Egypt because what had happened was is that when Joseph was in charge there, he brought his family over there and and they dwelled in the in the best land. And the pharaoh at that time was a wonderful pharaoh. They invited him over and gave him the best land. And and when Israel died, you know, all of Egypt they just mourned for him. But now within time, things change. You know, prejudices come and, and, and fears come. And, and so things change. We're looking at a 400-year period now over the time from the time of Joseph's death to what we're going to be reading. So I'm going to start us off in verses 1 through 7. It says, Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were seventy persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, Jacob, who was known as Israel, you know, he moved his family to Egypt to be near his second youngest son, Joseph, because the land of, uh, because the land of Canaan, uh, which is what we know as Israel, was suffering through a famine. Joseph invited them to live near as he was the second in command in all of Egypt. So when they showed, they were given the land of Goshen. And at that time, it was the, it was the prime land, but also um, it was north of the main Egyptian cultural centers. And Joseph, being a Hebrew, knew the racial prejudice that the Egyptians had. So they were purposely separated, but they were purposely blessed. And, and the names written were the sons of Jacob, and are also what we know as the twelve tribes of Israel. So with all their families at the time moving over to Egypt, the family line grew. Now, culturally, there were many uh, differences as the Egyptians, they worshipped many gods and where the Jews worshipped one god, our god, the one and only god. And the Egyptians were, you know, mathematicians, they were builders, they were very educated, while the Hebrews were shepherds and farmers. So there was not much of a relating to in occupations, but why would God bring his people to a land that was so different with culture and prejudice? Well, you know, we look at the land of Canaan. Canaan was prejudiced. The tribes around there were wicked. They were the wicked Canaanites and had become very, they'd become extremely vile over a period of time where actually God said enough is enough, it's time for judgment because they just got worse over time. And over time we will see the opposite effect where Egypt was the place to be. Uh, there was constant flourishing in crops and finance. It was, it was what we would call today where the grass is greener on the other side. Canaan was the opposite. Though the tables would turn in due time, the land of Canaan would be given to the Hebrews. And it would flourish as it does to this day where Egypt is not what it used to be in that of natural resources. So why would God allow that to happen is normally the question. You know, if you were to if you were to observe an area, 
uh, a country, certain cities that have gone completely downhill to see people sacrificing their own children and torturing other people in rituals that God detests, amongst many other things, gone out of control. God is patient beyond anyone I've ever known. Gone beyond patience. He's beyond patience uh, beyond uh, anyone with patience. He is gracious beyond anyone I know who is very gracious. He allowed the Israelites to multiply. Because because he told Abraham way back when that when bringing him to Canaan, the father of the Jews and many nations, that his offspring would be as many as the number of the stars. And this was part of the plan of God. There had to be a place set aside. There had to be a uniting of a lost family to be brought together to spend the rest of their days living in harmony with each other as God intended. So what we're seeing is the stage to be set in the hand of God because 400 years is a long time. 400 years to get right with God. 400 years to observe the past and hope for a new beginning as in those in Canaan. And for 400 years, Egypt housed the Hebrew people. And that was a blessing from God at first. But unfortunately, things change when people get involved. Let's take a look at verse 8 through 11. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their uh, burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, uh, Pithom and, and Ramses. So the Pharaoh of that day, become, he became paranoid because this was now 400 years that Joseph and the Pharaoh who had ruled had been long gone. This new king did not know Joseph, but he probably would not have cared as he sounded pretty stubborn, vicious, and also power hungry. But, it, you know, as time went on, the Jewish people were knowing, were growing in Egypt to the point of fear from the Pharaoh. You know, okay, the Egyptians had enemies known as the Hittites. And if by chance the Hebrew people and them teamed up, it would be an issue for Egypt. So the, the plan was to abuse and enslave them to show who had the power and of course this had uh, this has been one of the oldest tricks in the book when you do not want someone around uh, without telling them to leave they purposely make life hard to force you out of the area or maybe out of your job if you're in a company but you know they took it to a new level see they were used to no longer they were used to no longer live there freely and enjoy the benefits. They were forced to make building materials in the mud pits, as some were skilled in other things, uh, and some were used to their talents, but were under close watch with the same whip, unfortunately. You know, I was always fascinated with pyramids when I was, pyramids when I was younger, and with uh, hieroglyphics as well, and it actually showed a painting on one of the tombs of their leaders of an Egyptian overseer holding a whip while watching the slaves who were making bricks and what the majority of the Jews were enslaved for. And the Jews, unfortunately, through slave labor, they technically built those ancient cities in the area. And I said before that the ancient Egyptians were famous for their superior outlook and prejudice of other nations. Um, so for numbers to grow meant power to the Jews. And, and so, these are the times 
that started the, the issues we see today in foreign living. God did not want disunity amongst anyone, but nations took it upon themselves to create entities of worship. They took it upon themselves to create hate. And we will eventually see why God instructed the Jews to separate from those around them because of what they created, because what they created, not God. But when we look at Noah back in Genesis, when we look at Noah and his family, they were the few that were in the good graces of God as they repopulated the earth after the flood. And one of his sons, whose name was Ham, he had a son named Canaan, who Noah cursed uh, the descendants of due to his grandson's heinous act in Genesis. And the descendants were of the nation of Canaan as well as Egypt, where Ham had actually founded when they repopulated the earth. And when we ask why these events happen in certain areas, you know, until this day with problems, we can observe the areas where the Hamites populated and we can see the struggles to this day in those regions where, where the descendants of Ham and all of them um, uh, inhabited the lands. But, you know, there's something neat about the things that God has done. And even the most struggling nations, I will bring up later, but this is to show how it all began. God did not want hate. We were all created in his image, yet with diversity, all of this was human fault and why God had to clean it up throughout the ages. So let's, let's go ahead and continue to see what's being done here in verses 12 to 16. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. And then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of the one Siphrah and the name of the other Puah. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. So, the, you know, the thoughts of Pharaoh backfired, even though, uh, even through affliction, they, they grew and made themselves, they, they made them. They made them sweat a little more. They made them sweat more than before. Because when we look what is going on and why God allowed 400 years of Jewish population in Egypt was simply due to intermarriage with the people of Canaan. Why would God allow uh, the people to be there for so long? Because again, well, God was allowing the Hebrew people to populate. And we've seen that the times later on uh, the intermarriage did take place with pagan areas, but in Egypt, see, they would never, they would not even eat with another race, yet alone marry and have children with them. So, 400 years of growth amongst their own and within family tribes allowed growth to now inhabit the land that would be promised to them once they left Egypt. So, that was part of the reason why God allowed 400 years of them to be living in Egypt. It was it was a reason for population. It was a it was a reason to allow them to grow to that many people to make the move. So I, I have to give admiration to the Jews of slavery because of what they endured and yet they stayed with God. See, I'm sure many felt defeated and burdened, but these burdens helped for them into stronger people who were actually used mightily. 
See, we can't we cannot become overcomers if we have had nothing to overcome. And whatever the circumstances that make God you know whatever the circumstances may God get the praise for your survival as they were an example of such but you know in the insult to injury he decides to have every male the pharaoh did he decides to have every male boy killed by the midwives the midwives who were most likely in charge of being such to jewish women but they had a bigger authority that they feared and that was that was god himself See, the pharaoh obviously forgot that midwives were designed to help with the birth and care of a baby, not the death of them. And see, the birth stools, as he had mentioned, the birth stools were used to watch as they helped deliver the baby. And they were commanded to kill a male as soon as he was right out of the womb. And, you know, this reminds me, it's crazy, this reminds me of a, a fascinating story from a Dutch lady. Her name was Cory Ten Boom. If, you ever, if you've never heard of her, look her up. She's quiet. She has an amazing story. She was actually sent to a concentration camp in World War II for aiding Jews in Holland. Um, she told a story of some Nazi soldiers who actually approached her family because they were instructed to go to a facility to kill Jewish babies. And these soldiers said that they were tired of Hitler and wanted to save these babies. So what had happened was, is her sons at the time were young men. And what they did was they traded civilian clothes with the soldiers and posed as Nazis who rescued and snuck all of the babies out. But, you know, she was found out about the aiding and, and she was sent to a concentration camp. But I, I heard her speak about it on recording. This was before she died in the 1980s. And she is a fascinating woman who was actually very godly. And God used these faithful midwives as it was obviously the enemy that put such an idea into the mind of Pharaoh to kill all the male Jewish babies. See, it goes to show that when authority gives ungodly demands, the Lord will carry through when the right thing is done. If you're familiar with the ten plagues that hit Egypt, which we're going to see here pretty soon, is um, you can see that this wicked request became a reality within the Egyptian kingdom and not the people of God. This was like trying to throw a razor boomerang at God's people, and then as they throw that boomerang, they walk away only to have it turn around and hit them right, you know, to take their heads off the ones who actually threw the boomerang. So let's take a look here in 17 to 22, which will pretty much end the chapter. Not a large chapter, but again, it, it gives a lot of insight of how things begin in Exodus. But the midwives, they feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Now, the question is, did the midwives lie in regards to the Hebrew women? 
Well, possibly it was, and then again, it could have been it could have been true. After all, God was in control, and and we see how they were able to multiply over time. So I'd like to think that they were being honest about it. But nevertheless, God blessed the midwives as as they had their own households and children of their own after this event. You know, there's an old saying that you may have won the battle, but I will win the war. And when war is waged against God or his own, then the culprit will win nothing but face nothing but calamity and then maybe even death. When you're with God or his people, then only good can come. Because when we look at what he did for the midwives by giving them their own homes, he gave them children as well. See, midwives were in that position because they were normally barren. Uh, they couldn't have children, so they took part in helping with the birth and caring for them that way. But the fear of God was a good thing. There are two types of fear. The, the one is dread, as we should have, because God controls every aspect of daily activity. We don't want to provoke the author and finisher of life. Yet, there is the other fear, and that is the fear of love and concern. When you have such a deep love and affection for someone, your biggest fear is disappointing them. And when it comes to God, having both forms of fear, it is the beginning of wisdom. Because we recognize who he is, and the book of Exodus was, again, just another chapter of life that God revealed, that revealed God even more in his attributes and powers. God is good all the time, even when it doesn't look like it here on earth. But looking through the whole Bible, we can see that life was not always easy, and every life is different. Some go through different trials than others, but that is God designing us in the mold of life. We have to remember that we are not always promised a smooth ride or sailing, but God promises a safe destination. And the destination, whether here or our destination to him, is by allowance. But the key is to say is to have him as our Lord and Savior. We read the things in the Bible about these people who God used. And it is neat to realize that we will have the chance to meet these people and actually dwell amongst them for all of eternity. And we get to be with our Lord and Savior and all those who we are seeing in the Word of God. But, you know, in order to get there, we must be not just ones who know of God, but also uh, ones who have received His Son as Lord and Savior, as Christ said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, I want to see Him, and I want to be with Him, and He wants to be with with you. Okay, we... We want to, you know, there, there has to be a mutual thing, right? The Lord wants everybody, but how much of the Lord do we want? You know, do we want to receive Him as Lord and Savior? Because the choice is yours. You know, the invitation is always there. But again, the, the hardest thing is is when we reject the Lord, when we reject God. We're saying we're saying that we don't want anything to do with him, but yet you know he wants us. He's always wanted us. He's always wanted a part of us. He created us. He knows every aspect about us. And and it's amazing to think that when I look at these times in the Bible, the things that that happened, 
on on how he got people through such things was was really was really again just a a very pleasant reminder of who it is that's in charge. And again, like I said, we don't hear about our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus in Exodus, but I'm going to make him known every every time <laughs> through we are through the times that we're going through the Bible because he was there from the beginning, okay? And we're going to know of him because again, it all adds up to him. And in order to get to him, we must receive him. In order to see the Father and to be with the Father, we must receive him as our Lord and Savior. And, and so again, I want to give an invitation. I want to I want to give the opportunity, which is a free gift. It doesn't cost you a thing. You don't have to invest money. You don't have to invest anything. You just basically have to receive him as Lord and Savior. So if you feel led... If you want to be of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, then say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, for you to receive me into your kingdom, Lord, when my time is up. And I thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die on the cross for my sins. And I thank you, Lord... For the shedding of your blood. I thank you Jesus for for wanting me and for having me. As Lord as I receive you Lord into my heart right now. Please forgive me once again of my sins. As I am now of you Lord. In Jesus precious name I pray. Amen. Well. It's going to be interesting, again, as we go through the book of Exodus, we're going to be seeing so many things, so many things that God has done. But again, see, it all leads to to the Lord and Savior Christ Jesus in one way, shape, or form. And so I, I pray that you will be blessed as we continue to go through and continue to see what he's doing and what he does to this day. So again, I pray you've said the prayer, and I pray most of all that you'll stay the course. So may God bless and keep you.